Welcome to the show, everyone. Before we get started, let me introduce my guests. Do you need a guy to do an illustration that includes murder hornets, chainsaw bears, sniper monkeys, vuvuzela blowing beavers, Korean flamethrowing squirrels, cannibal rats, knife-wielding baboons, and zombie cicadas? Then I'll get you in touch with this guy. Please welcome that illustrator guy, Phil Rude. You got them all. You got all the plagues. Good job, Chris. Welcome, sir. Thanks for coming back. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. Yeah. All right. Well, one more thing before we move on. You've got a new podcast. I do have a new podcast. Why, why don't you mention that real quickly? I started a show with my son, who's uh, 20 years old, and we have been talking about movies for years, so we decided to do a movie podcast. It is called The Picture Show with Austin and Phil Rude. It comes out weekly, and we just break down whatever movie we watched that week. What day does it release? comes out Monday. Uh, it, uh, yeah, Monday, around midnight, it drops. So, like, when you wake up Monday morning, you start your work week with it. Perfect. Right out the door. We're also starting to put it up on YouTube. I'm doing a um, a drawing every week based on the movie we watched, and... I film that and I put that up with the episode playing over it. Uh, just something we're playing around with right now, but it's uh, it's starting to take off. And um, and so, yeah, you can see that on my YouTube channel. And that's just uh, if you search Phil Rude, you'll find that. Excellent. Cool. All right. So it's out Mondays and presumably it's available everywhere people listen to podcasts. Everywhere you can find a podcast. Yep. Terrific. Okay. My next guest also has a podcast. In fact, he has two. One is Varmints, where he and co-host Donna Hume discuss animals. The other is Checking In With Chomo, both on the Podfix Network, where he talks about whatever is on his mind that day. That's right. It's Paul Chomo. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing good. By the way, Phil's podcast is really, really good. It is. Oh, thanks, Paul. Um, there's 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 something about a, a father and his son just kind of geeking out over movies together that's just really nice to listen to and I've been really enjoying it so I hope people check that out. I appreciate that. Thanks, Paul. Yeah. Well, and thanks to both of you for being here again. Let me explain what we're doing. Today we continue our journey to help me identify my all-time favorite song. The journey comes in the form of a massive four-stage mega tournament. Each of the four stages is its own 64-song tournament divided loosely by decade and type of music. Listeners can follow along and participate by voting in a series of polls in the Gravity Beard Interns Facebook group. If you're not a member of that group, you're cordially invited, so go join right now. Today, we're going to cover stage three, and these are mostly songs from the 90s, or as I would say, my college years. So they're roughly going to be kind of 1993 to 1999. We'll begin by discussing each of your picks, uh, Phil and Paul. Then we'll go over the results from the interns at large, and we'll finish up by discussing my final four, and I'll reveal my winner from this stage. Gentlemen, are you ready? Ready. Ready. All right, Phil, we'll come to you first. Take it away. All right. Uh, yeah, this was a... this. This got weird. Um, I, I, I stumbled around with these. I, I struggled with this period of time more than any other. I'm not quite sure why that is, but there's a lot of music from this era that didn't attach itself to me at the time the way other eras did. So uh, I stumbled a little bit, but I, I 
pulled some picks out of here that I really enjoyed. Well, and, and that's interesting because all three of us are basically the same age, right? Right. And, and yes. so <clears throat> I, I would assume that we all kind of were plugged into music in a similar way. Maybe not the same type of music, but at least pl- plugged in on the same level, perhaps. Maybe not. I I think so. Um, I, I In trying to figure this out, I figured out I was spread really thin uh, about this. Time. I was listening to a lot of stuff from all over the map. I was getting into uh, country music at the time. I was deep into blues and classic rock still. I was in grunge. I was in some metal. I mean, I was kind of, you know, I discovered something like Enya at this time. You know, like just I was checking out so much stuff and so little of it really. uh, Some of it I really enjoyed and I enjoyed getting back through it. But it wasn't like any of it remained super precious to me. Uh, like the, like some of the older stuff and the phase that we're voting on right now in the Facebook group, I'm finding a lot of stuff coming out of there. Like the, the Wilco stuff you're posting and Ryan Adams. And I'm, I'm going, yeah, this is when I, I started finding stuff that really has stuck with me. But this period of time we're talking about today, uh, I, I enjoyed a lot of this music, but it it just didn't it hasn't stuck with me through my adulthood the way a lot of other eras of music have. So question about that. Is this the period of time in your pop culture consciousness where you were exposed to the widest range of stuff? It sounds like uh, I think I was I mean, the 80s, I think everything kind of we talked about this, I think, on the last time. I think that's where everything splintered off. But I didn't really open myself up to as much of it until about this era. And this is, uh, I wasn't in college at this time, but I was in the military and I was meeting people from all over the place for the first time in my life and kind of being exposed to more and more, uh, sort of regional tastes and every, you know, just a, a wider range of people brought a wider range of music into my life. And I think I was open to it for the first time ever. Where was your head at in music, Paul, during this time? Well, I got married in 1993, and then I we started having kids pretty soon after that. So I was a dad, and I was at home, and we were dirt poor, and my music was coming in was coming to me through either MTV or VH1 or whatever was playing on the radio. Um, didn't really have any friends in college. Uh, you know, I, my music my music was pretty much just informed by the radio. So yeah, when I, when I saw this bracket, like I told you a few days ago, I said, I have a lot of homework to do. (laughs) I have a (laughs) lot of listening to do. Right. And there was a few songs in the bracket. When I noticed them, I said, well, these songs are going to go quite a long way. And I was hoping, I was hoping to get some upsets and I did get some upsets, but a lot of this music just, it was weird. It was like a lot of this music I'd never heard of, but then there were songs that I would listen to and I would go, oh yeah, I remember that song. And I just didn't even know, I didn't know who did yeah. it or what it was called. Okay. You know? And then there was some of it that I was pretty familiar with because it got a, a lot of airplay. So there's a lot, this is a big, uh, a learning experience for me, this particular bracket. Good, good. And Phil, it sounds like your level of familiarity with this bracket was similar to Paul's. It it was similar. Some of the stuff I I had heard a lot of stuff. Um, some things that 
I wanted to take a long way, like uh, that in the you know in the meantime that Space Hog song. I hadn't heard that in years, and when as soon as I heard it, I'm like, oh my god, this is a great song I used to hear in clubs and stuff. Um, anything you had from the Dumb and Dumber soundtrack, which was a, a cool alternative album at the time that got a really, lot of play. Really, really good. Yeah, uh, I I really enjoyed that album, and I revisit you know in seeing the couple songs that you had put in your brackets. You know, I went back and revisited that whole album and just had a great time with it because it's it's such a fun alternative album. Uh, so stuff like that, there were there was there was hits and misses. There was stuff I was very familiar with that I just haven't listened to in years. Um, and there was stuff that I had never heard before. So it was it was it was kind of a cool mix and it was kind of fun to go through and go oh, I love this, but it doesn't hold up, or I've never heard this song and I hate it, or I've never heard this song and I love it. And it, it just is, uh, it, it was it was kind of a cool experience to to find 20-year-old music that was brand new to me and have a, a, a 45-year-old reaction to it, you know what I mean? Yeah, that was my exact experience as well. It was fun. A lot of emo teen music is not oh, meant yeah. for a 45-year-old to hear the first time, you know? <laughs> Well, what's interesting about this, and I didn't go back and, and count them up or anything, but I think this is our third stage, and I believe there's the most overlap between the three of us and uh, the interns bracket. I think there's the most overlap in this stage compared to the other stages in terms of picking the same songs. Wow. Because I think on the last episode, I don't think there was any overlap at all. I think we all had... There were four distinct final fours. It was really, di- yeah, it was really different yeah. brackets. Yeah, and and uh, on this one, there's I think there's a song or two of overlap on each one. And Phil, Phil, you actually sent your brackets twice. You, you filled out a bracket, sent it, and then said, no, 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 I'm going to make. Some and I changed my said. mind after I I kept uh, as as we're going, and it took me a couple stages to figure out to do this. As as we're going, and as you're posting the YouTube links, I'm putting them in a playlist in YouTube. Oh, cool. Uh, so I can review them when it comes time to do my brackets. So I filled out my brackets and then I was at work and I just had the thing playing and I'm like, oh no, this song's, this song's got to make it. And I, that's when I sent you yeah. a message and I was like, I want to redo my brackets. And, and it was just like one substitution, but, uh, I, I could have kept playing with it all week, honestly. Cool. All right. Well, let's get into it. Phil, tell us your final four. Yeah, let's uh, kick it off with my first finalist from group one. I have a song that I had never heard before uh, from a band that I was kind of dismissive of. Uh, It's Ain't That Unusual by the Goo Goo Dolls. Uh, It's from the 95 album A Boy Named Goo. And uh, this one kind of just caught my ear and tapped my foot, and I kept coming back to it. So it dropped into my final four. That went up against uh, my song from group two, and that's Waiting for Wednesday by Lisa Loeb and Nine Stories from the 95 album Tales. And then you break down into the next bracket. I have group three. Brought us The Tale of Mr. Morton by Skilo from the 1996 album Schoolhouse Rock Rocks. It's a tribute album to Schoolhouse Rock cartoon series. Uh, 
And that went up against uh, my finalist from Group 4, which is The Rain King from Counting Crows, from an album I was overly familiar with, August and Everything After, from 1993. Um, I wore that album out back in the day. That is a front-to-back great album. Uh, but it did not make the final cut. It lost out to uh, Tale of Mr. Morton by Skilo. That might be the most random pick in the entire tournament. It, to make a, it, was, to make it was the thing that made me preface this with this thing got weird. Uh, I didn't <laughs> see it going. But again, like as far as going through a bunch of music that I was not overly familiar with, this thing I came back to again and again. It is such a fun... I, I'm... I don't know if it's anyone would technically claim like, oh, this is the a great song. This is a a timeless song, but it is such a fun song that I kept rolling back to it over and over again, which makes sense that it is a a schoolhouse rock song that is you know been covered by a rapper. Uh, the schoolhouse rock songs were meant to be catchy. They're meant to get in your head and and you know stay with you, which is why. 40 years later, we're all walking around in conjunction, junction, you know, like all that. We, we know all the words still. Uh, but this is just such a, this is a fun song from a, a really kind of cool album that I, I didn't go through the whole thing, but I checked out tracks here and there. Uh, it, it contained a, uh, a couple of weird, um, trivia things this is there's a song on that album called three is a magic number and it is covered by blind melon and that is one of the last recordings that shannon hoon the singer of blind melon did before he died of a drug overdose um oh wow it's really weird that this is one of the last things he recorded he's very talented uh young singer um he guessed it on like guns and roses you know blind melon was very big back in the day i saw them play in austin uh, they opened really? up for Smashing Pumpkins during the Siamese Dream Tour. And cool. So I saw them at uh, South Park Meadows in Austin in 1994. I think he died maybe the next year. Were they good live? Yes, they were very good. Although nice. uh, the crowd had gotten obviously drunk, like most crowds do, and got a little rowdy. And I guess they a couple people had thrown some stuff on stage, and, and he got really upset about it. <laughs> <laughs> Classic. Whatever. Um, oh, oh, and yeah. I almost got—I almost got crushed to death. There's that, that happened too. Oh man! Oh wow! Mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel like my little trivia about this album is going to pale in comparison to Toast's story about getting crushed to death in a Blind Melon show. <laughs> it's true. It's true. I was at the—I bo- was at the—I bo- was on the ground, covered up in layers of people, and one of the guys that I was at the show with reached through all of them and and pulled me out. God. Yep. You got to take your retriever with you. You got to have a guy big enough to pull you out of the mosh pit. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. Um, let's see. The, uh, this track on here is uh, it samples the bass line for a song called Help Is On The Way by the Whatnots. And that is not as an astronaut. Uh, very clever. It's an old disco track, early 80s disco track. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. 
And according to Genius.com, and I could not verify this anywhere else, the guitar on this song is played by Canadian blind blues rocker Jeff Healy. What? Um, It is listed on this single website. (laughs) I could not find it verified anywhere else, but... um, I'm I'm putting that as a Wikipedia esque uh, piece of trivia. I I could not verify it anywhere, but I thought it was worth mentioning. Well, and the percentage of people listening to this episode that have heard of Jeff Healy is is probably less than one percent. Uh, Jeff Healy, uh, yeah, probably only best known for that prom standard uh, Angel Eyes and uh, being in Roadhouse. He's the guy. Right. Mm-hmm. He's the guy That's in right. Roadhouse. Yep. Um, but yeah, uh, a portion of sales from the album went to the Children's Defense Fund, a charity focused on improving federal guidelines and policies for child welfare and education. And I think that's similar to the Saturday Morning Cartoons uh, cover album that came out right around that same time. Yep. Um, which was like uh, cartoon theme songs. Uh, Skilo himself, there could not be a more 90s rapper. And when you just look at his resume, everything about it, uh, he was on this album for one. He was on the soundtrack to the movie Money Train. He was an MTV VJ. And the parody for his big hit song, I Wish, or the video for his song, I Wish, features a parody of Forrest Gump. I mean, it is... This wow. is the most 90s rapper I've ever Jeez. seen. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, uh, that's that's a tale of Mr. Morton. Uh, just a, a super fun rap song from kind of a obscure rapper, I would say now. He's kind of a one-hit wonder in the day, but he had his moment. And that went up against the other side of that coin is Waiting for Wednesday by Lisa Loeb and Nine Stories. A song that couldn't be more different. <laughs> Could not be more different. I, I realized that putting all these pieces together, I'm like, this is a wildly... Yeah, your final uh, matchup was was 90s rapper versus female singer-songwriter. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and, and any of you have heard the other two episodes that we've done can probably guess which side of the coin landed heads up. Uh, but <laughs> for, it was for Skilo, right now... Just to go into Waiting for Wednesday, it is from the 1995 album Tales, which was certified gold in December of that year. Uh, The album was also critically successful. Ken Tucker of Entertainment Weekly wrote, Loeb has an undeniable gift for creating an air of intimacy and vulnerability, which may well be enough for stay fans looking for additional doses of contemplative melancholy. Which is sort of a way of saying, uh, yeah, a lot of mixed emotions, ups and downs, uh, fun, fun, sad songs, which is what this song really is. Uh, This is a song about a woman who is nervous that she might be pregnant and she's waiting for Wednesday to find out if her uh, monthly visitor shows up. Uh, And she is reviewing her relationship with her boyfriend who does not treat her well. 
I've always said the way to know if you really love somebody is to go through a pregnancy scare and have to picture your entire life with this person, uh, linked to this person. And that is what this song is about. This is my t- one of my top three favorite songs about a woman waiting for her period. <laughs> I would love to hear the rest of that list. No, no, we don't have time for that. <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, ultimately in the song, she decides, uh, baby or not, she is going to leave this man who mistreats her. So uh, this is a slightly dark song, but it is done with a slightly uplifting uh, uh, resolution to it. And it's done in a really upbeat kind of poppy way. I really like the mix of of sort of a dark tone uh, juxtaposed against a really kind of fun sounding song um, about a really dramatic moment. It's, she did a uh, version of this live uh, in studio with Howard Stern that'll that'll knock you out. Howard Stern, I've never been a big fan, but I find these clips of musicians he has in studio and they're always just like really well-produced live radio music clips. He does a really good job of bringing music in. Yeah, I've never been a Stern fan, but her performance of this song on his show was tremendous. That's great. Uh, yeah, uh, this this song landing on, in your brackets did take me back to uh, something in the 90s that I did enjoy. And I, I was a big Lisa Loeb fan. I had a enormous crush on her, uh, for one. But I also, just being a fan of uh, folk music and singer-songwriters, I liked a lot of her stuff. It was... I think Reality Bites is where we probably all first saw, you know, uh, she had the stay was on that soundtrack and we all saw the video of her and Ethan Hawke's cat in that empty apartment. And uh, uh, she's just super cute. And then you, you know, follow her career a little bit and you know, it's like, oh, she has these really fun, cool songs. She's a really cool person. I, I went down the rabbit hole of. Uh, finding some of her newer stuff too. She has an album of like standards out oh, wow. um, that she did a few years ago. That's really fun and and just really cool. Beautiful voice and uh, and it was just really cool to go back and find this pocket of '90s pop music that I kind of forgot how much I enjoyed. If this album came out today, I think it would do fine. You could you could see it as a contemporary album in almost any time. Yeah. So yeah, that's my that's my final two is waiting for Wednesday, Lisa Loeb uh, versus the Tale of Mister Morton by Skilo, and my pick for the number one song of this phase is Waiting for Wednesday, Lisa Loeb and Nine Stories. I dig the singer songwriters. I mean, this is going back to Van Morrison, Eric Clapton, uh, all the way through this tournament. I. It's no surprise that that's where I'm gravitating. Um, I really was not sure it was going to go all the way. I just knew it was going to go far in the tournament, and uh, and it it made it to the end. So that's it. Yeah, good pick. Well, Paul, turning over to you now. Were there any other general thoughts about the tournament that you haven't already shared before you share your final four? No, I mean it. Just like I said before, it was just it was fun to rediscover songs it was fun to hear new songs and and to just kind of broaden my little library it was good um the the songs i came up with were fairly predictable for me um but that didn't make it any less 
fun to listen to new things. Like I, I had a good time doing it. Great. Well, let's let's get into your final four. All right, my final four uh, from the first bracket is a Lisa Loeb song, and it is "I Do." guys have already said so much about Lisa Loeb I would just be restating a lot of it but it's just good pop music I mean I love her songwriting she just seems like a nice person right agreed it's like it's comfort food music right yeah it's like sure she she's kind of like you might hate Jack Johnson I don't hate Jack Johnson but she's kind of in the same category as Jack Johnson where it's music that you can just kind of put on you know, when you're in the kitchen on a Sunday morning and you're making breakfast. It's pleasant. It's pleasant. Yes. Yeah. It's just pleasant. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just, it's the perfect kind of music. And uh, by the way, she has a brand new album called A Simple Trick to Happiness. And I was listening to it today while I was going over the show notes. And it's really, really good. Like, if you like Lisa Loeb, you're going to like this album. Cool. That's good to know. And my other finalist was The Counting Crows with Rain King. It's a great one. Yeah, one of my favorite bands from the 90s and 2000s. Adam Duritz is a great singer, one of my favorite singers ever. He has this very earnest quality to his vocals without being like really over the top with it. And I just, I love, I love that band. They also have a podcast. He started a podcast during the pandemic. Uh, him and one of his band members called the Underwater Sunshine Podcast. And I haven't had a chance to listen to it yet, but. They didn't call it Casting Crows. Oh, that was a missed opportunity. <laughs> Boy, was it ever. <laughs> what is the show about? I, I don't, I think it's about music. Okay. I don't. I, I wish I'd had time to listen to it before it's I came cooking. on here. I meant to. They just they go on there and they yeah. they go over recipes. I don't know. No, no. Talk about video games. It's about gardening. Movies. Yeah. <laughs> How to grow things in hostile soil. Mostly. <laughs> so those are my two runners up. My final two. Uh, is, the first song is called "In the Meantime" by Space Hog. Alien album. Unfortunately, in the meantime, is the opening track on that record, and it's kind of like the high point of the entire album. It, it make it, like it's a good album without that song, but because that song is the opening track, that the rest of the record is kind of worse. And I remember when I got that CD and I listened to it, and I thought, 
I should have just gotten the cassette single or the CD single because that's how old I am. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, I remember cassette singles very well. Yeah. Yeah. A fun fact about that song. I never thought about the the sound the sound that the song starts with, but it's it's a phone loop. When, and then when you hear it, you go, oh, yeah, that sounds like a phone loop. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the phone loop at the beginning of the song is sampled from another song called Telephone and Rubber Band by Penguin Cafe Orchestra, which, by the way, is a terrible song. <laughs> <laughs> but I always thought it was a cool effect, and it, it's kind of an early hook. It's an, a hook right from the top. Yeah. And it's the bass line, too. It has one of the best it, bass lines that ever. That bass line is great. It walks oh. all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. The lead singer, his name is Royston Langdon, which is probably the most British name I've ever heard. Oh, it is. Benedict Cumberbatch. <laughs> yeah. He's one of those guys that sings and plays the bass at the same time. And Ooh. I don't care how good or how bad you are at either one of those things. If you can do both at the same time, to me, that's impressive. Especially and, a bass line like that. Yeah. Yeah, we yeah. talked yeah. about it in the last episode when we got into... Um, the Sting, every- yeah. Yeah, I think I think Space Hog was trying to go for a sound that was somewhere at the the intersection of Queen and David Bowie and the the Sweet and T Rex and all those bands, but it didn't quite get there except for this one really 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 great song, and that went up against uh, Seether by Veruca Salt. I'm really interested to hear how this got to your got to the end for you. Okay, well, you could say a lot of the same things about this song by Veruca Salt. Um, this song is from their debut album called American Thighs. Seether is the high point of that entire record as well. The rest of the songs on that album just sort of plod along, and it's not a very exciting record. Um... 1994 was a huge year in music. Like, I didn't realize yeah. until I was kind of looking a few things up, like, how some here's some of the albums that came out in 1994. I just jotted a few of them down Nirvana Unplugged, uh, The Downward Spile, Nine Inch Nails, Dookie from Green Day, Jeff Buckley, The Grace Record, Weezer's first record, oh, yeah. Super Unknown from Soundgarden, Vitalogy from Pearl Jam. Ill Communication, The Beastie Boys, mm-hmm. that was 1994. Siamese Dream. Beck, yeah. Uh, Stone Temple Pilots, Alice in Chains, Jar of Flies. Um, but, and I think Veruca Salt just kind of got buried in all of those bands. Like there was, And there was also a ton of bands that were kind of cashing in on that trend of, of alternative rock and grunge yeah. and, and all that. And I think when you get a, I think Seether is, it just got buried. Like it got radio play, it got airtime, but it just, it was one of those little gems that nobody was thinking about because all the other, all those other bands were getting all the attention. You know what I mean? For sure. So yeah. And that, that was the song that won for me, that, that, it was a hard choice between that and in the meantime um and just because Seether was such a good song in that year uh, it just got lost in a sea of other music and 
the thing that really puts it over the edge for me is that it's just an all-purpose song. So if you're on the way to work on a Monday morning and you're grumpy, uh, see their fits. If you're at work, see their fits. If you're on your way home from work Friday and you have your paycheck, see their fits. You know, <laughs> Whatever you're doing, yeah. if you're exercising or playing video games or mowing the lawn or doing chores around the house, if that song comes on, it fits. And I will never turn it off. Um, yeah, for everything I'm doing, Seether is pretty much always appropriate. And they released a record in 1997, and it's called Eight Arms to Hold You. If you enjoy the, bu- the song Seether, you'll enjoy that entire album. Oh, that's good to know. That's yeah, the album I'm more familiar with. That had, uh, was it like Rock Candy or something like that on there? Was there a big one? Yes. Um, yeah, I, I know... I, uh, this album sounds like it was sort of their their debut. Uh, they weren't quite established yet. Was this their fir- was this their first album, Paul? Did it you? It's from their first one, yeah. And this yeah. is the, this is one of the only songs on it that really had that driving kind of kind of beat. And the rest of it was this really slow shoegazy melancholy kind of stuff that. Seether just kind of stuck out like a sore thumb on it, you know? Yeah, and if that was their debut and they were going out against Nirvana and Alice in Chains and these more established rock bands, too, you know, it would, yeah. I, I can see how they would get buried. The 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 girl group thing mm-hmm. as well, It was you know, it was like them in Hole, you know? And yeah. before them, what, like the Bangles and the Go-Go's, you know, 10 years prior. Yeah. Um, well, during the same time, you did, you did have the Breeders, which were very good. The breeders, oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. See now, Paul, I'm surprised you like see there more than another song on that album called "Levelor" about mini blinds. <laughs> <laughs> I missed that one. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. There's a song on that album called "Levelor," and it's about mini blinds. No. I pro- look it up right Are now. Are you serious? I will pause. We'll, we'll, we'll allow for you to look it up right now. <laughs> I, because you've done great research <laughs> and you've brought some good information. I'm surprised you overlooked Levelor. And while you're doing that, I will say that this selection as your favorite song of the third stage is going to please uh, a person that I've mentioned many times on the, on the podcast, Brad Cranford of my college roommate fame. I think he's the one that may have introduced Veruca Salt to me, and, and we to this day we still every once in a while send each other texts or clips or something about mostly Seether, but Veruca Salt references. Is it number one blind? Oh, that's what it is. That's what, I think yeah. it just says level or it's see it's it's even more on the nose than I remember, but in the song <laughs> it, it uses the term it says level or. So yes, they have a song on that album about many yeah, blinds. Yeah, we'll do it right now. Yeah. <laughs> so there. I always like it when I can come up with a fun fact that my guest doesn't uncover. It's the definitive rock song about window coverings. <laughs> yeah, it's about window blinds. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> Was that like sponsored by a blind company <laughs> or window coverings company? I won't get into the whole story, but they had trouble funding the making of this album, and they did. They had to go out and pander to sponsors. To, uh, they had to, to go out done. and find like the local window covering shop. Uh huh. Yep. Yep. So I think there's another song called Sherwin Williams. I love you. Cover, cover <laughs> my walls. I love you. So I know yeah. we're we're going completely off roading here, but 
I'm looking at the lyrics for Levelor or for for uh, number one blind. Uh-huh. And it says songwriters Innis, Lennon, and McCartney. I don't know who Lennon who Innis is. But somehow two dudes named Lennon and McCartney were involved with writing this song. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Okay, well, we certainly don't have time to go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> no, no, I think this, this podcast has just taken a, its own direction. I think, <laughs> we, just found a whole I new, think we have a mission here, guys. A whole new purpose for this episode. <laughs> All right, well, then, then you can... Either of you can take on that assignment or the listeners can do it. But, um, boy, that's, that is interesting. <laughs> yeah, so wow. per- perhaps... Perhaps John Lennon and Paul McCartney, 40 years before, wrote a song about window coverings. That <laughs> Maybe it's like the Bill and Ted thing, where they came forward in time and wrote this song for Veruca Salt. Wow. Okay, well, that, yeah, that, that's that's an even funner fact that I didn't expect to stumble upon in this conversation. John and Paul's excellent adventure. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Well, Paul, do you have anything else to say? Nope. That's going to do it for me. Well, that's a good one. So far, I, I, Thank you. I fully a- approve of and endorse both of your selections for the winners of the stage. Okay, well, then I'll take over here and we'll move on to the final four as voted on by the Gravity Beard interns, our Facebook group. So the first two songs to make, make it into the GBI final four were from group three, Closing Time by Semisonic. And the next song to make it into the final four was from group four and that was one week by bare naked ladies <laughs> <laughs> it's been one week and you're looking at me. <laughs> all right but before before i share the finalists do either of you have any comments feelings suggestions opinions about <laughs> positive those two songs? comments any comments positive and or negative you know i will say for um closing time that i just maybe a couple of months ago, listened to uh, a, an episode of a podcast called Song Exploder, which I don't know if you've heard before. Oh, yeah. Take that, songs and break them down. Yep. Uh, that, show, and, that show's great, yeah. Yeah, and they had Semisonic and Closing Time on there, and I got to hear how they made that song, and especially the story behind that song. Oh, cool. what that song kind of meant to the songwriters and the, and the band at that time. It was really cool. It really kind of changed my mind on that song. I actually I think I like that song better because of how much I know about what went into the making of that song. So that's a good, good podcast to check out in general, but that, that episode in particular is really good. I talked a lot of trash about uh, that semi-sonic song in, uh, in the Facebook group. My biggest problem with it is that it is so tired because every bar, oh, yeah. every club, every restaurant, when it's closing time, they play it and they all think they're clever. It's a it's a fine it's it's a fine nineties sort of uh malaise pop song, pop rock song. Uh one week I do not care for that song, but that has nothing to do with uh, the Bare Naked Ladies. I think Bare Naked Ladies are a super fun band, and that is kind of in line with their brand. Just a fun, catchy mm-hmm. song. I just have there are songs of theirs that I like so much more. You know, uh, stuff like The Old Apartment and Yep, uh, Brian Wilson and stuff like that. Um, it, I just I never glommed on to that song, and I think part of the, that may be also because that song was everywhere for mm-hmm. you know like the first six months it was out, you could not turn a corner without hearing that song 
and that stupid little rap that runs through it and in the it's just a chattering annoying song after a while i like the bare naked ladies that song just never hit home with me though yeah well i'll just say this before we move on they made it into the tournament so these are among the top 256 of my favorite songs so obviously i like both of them okay but the finalists, the two finalists, as voted on by the Gravity Beard interns, the first one is Wildflowers by Tom Petty. Tom Petty has had a few songs, you know, in, you know, in this tournament. And somehow this is the one that made it all the way. A lot of them got shelled early. People didn't really, and, and it's not anywhere. I, I like this song quite a bit, but it's not anywhere close to, you know, one of my favorite Tom Petty songs. I like I like it fine, um, and I can't remember the one that was in the, maybe the last stage of the tournament that I like quite a bit more. But that was that was the first the first of the two finalists. Did you guys have any thoughts opinions on Wildflower by Tom Petty? I think uh, Wildflowers is a great song by Tom Petty, but I'm with you in that it's it's like nowhere near like the best Petty song. Yeah. I've actually heard a version of this by the Waylon Jennings. Oh, interesting. uh, And and it is actually better than the Tom Petty. It is is a song that I think is built for women to sing. It is is built for a female voice. Uh, It's it's really interesting to hear... um, it, it, to hear that song uh, just through a different lens like that and go, oh, this is actually much better. It's a very sweet song. And and when you put like a sweet kind of country voice on it, it, it actually is, a, I think, a better fit. Um, I, I, en- I enjoy the song a lot, no matter who is singing it. I think it's just a well-written kind of ballad. Uh, but yeah, there were there are other songs and other songs from that album that I thought... Uh, I would have put in the tournament over over wildflowers. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's one of those things. I'm I'm with you on the page of uh, Tom Petty's one of my favorites of all time, but this mm-hmm. just isn't like in that top realm of Petty songs for me. Yeah, I agree. And the other song that made the final matchup is Sure Shot by the Beastie Boys. <laughs> This was the number one seed in this bracket. This might be my favorite Beastie Boys song. It's pretty good. This is the yeah. Gravity Beard interns bracket, not my own bracket. Uh, I'll share mine in a moment, but this is a great song. This is from Ill Communication, like we mentioned mm-hmm. before. And I don't remember how many albums they had leading up to this. They had several. But I actually saw... You know, I, I don't think I was there. I, th- I think... Oh, they, they, op- I th- they opened up for... They opened up for somebody and, and like, killed it. And they, they did such a good job um, that the band, the, the, some huge headline, it was, like, Smashing Pumpkins or somebody like that, maybe you 2 or, like, a huge, another huge act. And when that act came on, they didn't even hold a candle to Beastie Boys as an opener. And, actually, some of the crowd left. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and and th- these guys are, and, and obviously, and the headliner was who everybody paid to see. And this, the crowd was like, meh. <laughs> 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 uh, 
that's actually that there was actually the winner that was the number one, the song that was picked as yeah. the best song from stage three by the gravity beard interns and i i think the three of us probably had some complaints or not complaints but you know disagreed on their selections from the from the previous two tournaments they maybe maybe at least we gave them some minor eye rolls i have no problems with this at all you, you know no. to, to pick sure shot by the beastie boys as your favorite song from uh, from this stage no complaints, no criticism, makes perfect sense, fully deserving. Yeah, when I when I saw it in the bracket, I I thought this song is going to go quite a long way on my own bracket. It got bumped off fairly early, but yeah, it's also my favorite Beastie Boys song. It's kind of like that Ill Communication album is sort of like when they that's when they kind of turned a corner from being goofy rappers rapping about parties and money and their stuff and women to turning it into an art and, and turning and making it into an, an actual like band no they yeah. got good that's they when got they got good. good yeah they got good and this song in particular this is my favorite beastie boys song too it's just kind of like when they grew up well I, I think to to that point i don't think anybody until this point uh, understood or knew or were aware of how talented musically these guys were. Oh yeah, no, they're. <laughs> I remember finding out that they actually played the instruments on Sabotage in addition yeah. to rapping on it. How right. blown away I was by that. That was when I I started paying uh, some attention to them. I think especially when Sabotage came out, that was the thing that kind of grabbed my attention. I'm like, oh, it's not. It's not Brass Monkey anymore because I never right. I never mm-hmm. liked the Beasties when I was growing up. I'm like these guys are clowns. These are you know like you know girls. Do, 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 do. You know yeah. like I don't want to listen to that all day. Right. Um. And then you kind of work backwards. And my wife had the the Paul's Boutique album, and I'm like, oh, this is cool. It's got some cool samples and stuff in it. Um. I've never been like a huge fan. I'm not gonna put my poser hat on and, and pretend right. I'm a giant Beasties Same. fan. But like, Same. no. This stuff is 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 good. Um, I am going to take exception with the gravity beard, except uh, picking it just out of you know consistency's sake. I want to have a grievance with them in every phase, so I am going <laughs> to lash out at them uh, just for the sake of lashing out at them. No, I'm joking. It's a great pick. It, it's a great pick, and it's good to see democracy working uh, finally. It took us three phases to get here, but uh, great job, guys. Well, and just one final note on them. They have an instrumental album called The In Sounds From Way Out. I don't know if you guys were aware of that album or if you've heard it. No, I'm, I'm not. But, but if you if you just want to hear that, and it came out in 1996, two years after this album did. So if you want to hear the Beastie Boys showcase their music talent without, without their any rapping or any vocals at all, this is your opportunity to hear it. And it's a, it's a great album. It, it, it is an album that you can put on in the background and just enjoy it. It's really, really good. I look for music I can, I can have when I'm writing or drawing. That's just good background music. I'll check that out for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's really good. Okay. Well, that brings us to my final four. And let me just jump into that. So first the, the two songs that made my final four, but were not finalists. The first one is, in the meantime, by Space Hog, and we already discussed it, so I won't get into it too deeply. Of course, you know this was on Resident Alien, came out in 1994. 
you know, you had mentioned, well, I guess one interesting thing is that all of the members of this band were from Leeds, West Yorkshire, but the band formed in New York City. And it, hmm. it didn't get into why, but that, that's what happened. That's part of their background. And uh, again, we don't have to get into a you know discussion about the song because we've already done that. I, I really like it. I don't even know if I could articulate really why I like it. I, I think maybe we touched on it. I, I, I think it's got a great hook right from the start. It's got a tremendous bass line. It's got a great rock element to it. You know, it's it's guitar driven. Yeah. Uh, I just really, really, it, it's it's upbeat. I, I guess the one thing we didn't touch on directly, we kind of made reference to it, is that these guys were probably really, really talented, but they're absolutely a one hit wonder, and this is their one hit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The next song that made my final four was one of your picks, Phil, and that is from group two, Ain't That Unusual by the Goo Goo Dolls. And just a little more background on them than what, what you shared previously. They are an American rock band formed in 1986, so they were around a while before they had some success. They were from Buffalo, New York, and I, I don't know if I've come across too many bands from Buffalo, but uh, this is from their fifth studio album, A Boy Named Goo, which released in 1995, and this is the ninth track on that album. And so it's actually a bit of a deep cut, but this entire album is pretty good. I mean, it's, it's really good. As a matter of fact, it's one of their two hugely successful albums. And this is, I like a lot of songs on there, uh, even the two big hits, which were Name and Naked, were the two huge songs off that album. But I think this is my favorite. But here's a little bit about the Goo Goo Dolls' success as a band. I guess it makes sense. I, I, mean, I might have been aware of it at the time, but I, I just forgot. The Goo Goo Dolls have had... 19 top 10 singles on various charts and they've sold more than 12 million albums worldwide did you have a sense of of that they were that successful no i knew they were (laughs) really big at their in their day i didn't know they had 19 (laughs) big hit songs man top 10 19 top 10 singles that's insane think about the list of artists in mu- in modern music history that that puts them on the list with to get to that number that, that that's exclusive company with some really big acts right so a little more about that they've had tremendous success over a long period of time enough believe it or not and i didn't go looking for it but i read an article that said they have a two volume greatest hits uh, album so that puts them in pretty exclusive company like the eagles and bands like yeah. that to have a have a, a two volume greatest hits album, they have a twentieth anniversary release of two albums, two different albums. They had a twentieth anniversary celebration release. One was this this album, A Boy Named Goo, and the other one was I don't remember the other one, but there is another one. And the Goo Goo Dolls have two box sets. That is, uh, how does this happen? <laughs> yeah, um, I don't. I was always. Uh, I, w- I was aware of them. They were on the radio all the time. They had that really acoustic pop sound. I didn't. I was never blown away by them, which I was surprised when I picked this song uh, for that reason. But it just—I never would have dreamed they were that prolific. They were just a band that was playing in the background most of the time. Yeah. Uh, it, in I was in, you know, a lot of shops and job sites and stuff and there was always a radio on and it was there was always a goo goo dolls and you just didn't pay attention to it and and like then you find out like oh no they're incredibly prolific they had these huge careers like it's it's, so what you're saying is they just kind of blended into the tapestry of 90s rock yeah 
like for no, sure. everyone forgot they were there and told no, so no one told them to go away, and they just <laughs> right. kind of hung around. Like if they don't yeah. see us, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would have just said, oh, they were around for a few years. They had a couple of albums, yeah. and some good songs, and they were just part of that period. But they didn't. They were really successful. <laughs> that re- apparently, yeah, yeah. Okay, so now to my finalists. My first finalist came from Group Three, and. The song is Satan is My Motor by Cake. I've got wheels of polished steel. I've got tires that grab the road. I've got seats that... This song is on Cake's third studio album, Prolonging the Magic, which released in 1998. And they're a rock band from Sacramento, California. Their signature sound, which is really unique, comes from the vocals of John McRae, the guitar stylings of Zan McCurdy, and the trumpeting of horn player Vince uh, DeFiori. And I learned about Cake, along with everyone else, when the song The Distance blew up on radio in 1996. And if you were listening to radio at all, you heard this song. It got played over and over and over again. And, And I thought the song was fine. I thought it was catchy and cool, and I liked it as much as everyone else did. But... What's more important is that it caused me to quickly dive into their catalog where I found tons of music that I liked much, much more, or even more, I guess I should say, that I still listen to today. And I've actually seen them live. I saw them at least once, maybe twice. And they have the stage presence of a group of guys standing together at a bus stop. That's about what I would expect from Cake, I think. Yeah. They're too cool to move. (laughs) <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's so bare bones that it looks like a uh, like a high school band at a talent show right like it's it, like there's a handful of microphones there's one guy with a horn there's a guitarist a bassist and a drummer like that's and, and a couple of other things it's really stripped down you know they might have a rug on the stage and john mccray at least when i saw him was wearing like like a pair of jeans and and like a windbreaker and he's he's got a you know a thin beard and they just walk out and they start playing all these songs that you really, really enjoy listening to. And you just don't care. They remind me of like Ween. Like if you've <laughs> ever seen yeah. a, a, a Ween, just this bare bones sort of uh, almost almost mocking everybody who's listening to them because they're just sort of uh, almost not doing a show by doing a show and not moving around and just being the most stripped down version of something. You know what I mean? Well, the, these guys are singer songwriters and, and they're, I think lyrically they're really interesting. Their songs have a message. They're telling you something in each song. It's, it's right. And I don't think they're trying to mock anybody. They just don't care. They're, they're just not trying to set their, their stage up like you two or that's a better, I did, I sounded like I was putting it all of that, genre and all that stage presence down yeah. i didn't mean that as a as a sure. negative yeah, yeah. just you know sort of a an, an aesthetic uh uh choice kind of thing like you said it fits them like if they right. came out with an elaborate you know like um yeah if they came out with an elaborate stage setup it would be really weird for them to play the music that they play right uh yeah but i think i think they're tremendous you know they're one of my favorite bands of all time and, and i i really mean that they've got a consistent and unique sound it's just easy to listen to. There's something about their style that kind of makes you not take them seriously, but there's actually a lot of substance there. Well, that's fair. I've never, um, 
I, I know that people who are into cake are into like they're into cake like they're they're big fans and they've just never grabbed me I've never disliked them mm-hmm. uh, but I've never I've also never done the deep dive on them I've, I've kind of as the way you put songs in the tournament here you know people sharing links and in sending you a song to check out like that's how I've experienced cake mostly. Uh, yeah. You know, something comes up on Pandora and I'm like, oh, that's cool. You know, and I'll, I'll buy a song here or there. But I've never done like the deep dive and gone through all their albums. Uh, so I've never really they've never really gotten their hooks in me the way like the big cake fans are like, oh, man, you got it. You got to go all the, all in on it. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, you know, like I said, they've got a unique sound. And I yeah. think you either like cake or you don't. And for people that say they don't like it, I'm not offended by that. I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. They don't have a sound that appeals to a wide audience. They just don't. Sure. Paul, you've been silent as it, as it relates to cake. <laughs> <laughs> Paul is actually eating cake right now. <laughs> Paul doesn't care for cake. I don't I don't care for cake. Yeah. Um, my best friend in the world... Luke Umshide, who I've known since I was 10 years oh, old, yeah. literally. Luke's into cake. Best man in his wedding. We, we've been through hard times, good times, bad times, all the times in between. And this is where we part ways because he loves cake. <laughs> he loves cake. And I just cannot get into it. I don't know what it is. I am not ready to make that deep dive because the little shallow dive I've made has just not been good. Yeah. <laughs> again, again, like I said, that that makes perfect sense. I get it. They're, they're not a mass appeal band. Okay, well, fair enough. All right, well, my last, the last song in my final four is one of the more obscure songs in the entire four-stage mega tournament, and it is What Passes for Love by Storyville. <laughs> Storyville is a critically acclaimed blues rock band that formed in 1993 after a jam session at Antones, which is a popular blues club in Austin, Texas. One of the most notable things about Storyville was that it was made up of legends of the Texas blues rock scene. Do either of you guys even have an awareness, much less a familiarity with the Texas blues rock scene? Not at all. It was like the Vaughn Brothers came out of that scene, right? Yes. Okay, so... That's pretty much all I know, too. That would be about probably the extent of what I know, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's that makes sense. So here are the members of, of Storyville, and I think you'll have at least some appreciation for this group of people that ended up forming this band. So first was Chris Layton, who was the drummer and founding member of Double Trouble, which was Stevie mm-hmm. Ray's okay. backup band. And, of course, Tommy Shannon, the other member of Double Trouble, the bassist. And they, both of those guys had played in a band called the Archangels, which you've probably never heard of. And, again, this conversation very much appeals to my former roommate, Brad Cranford. He actually got me into Stevie and to Storyville and to the Archangels and kind of the whole blues rock scene, which he was already deeply into. Another member of the band was David Lee Holt, and he was a guitarist who played with Joe Ely, who you've probably not heard of. but he was. I have of heard of him, yeah. Uh, Todd Snyder has played with him uh, a little bit, and I've followed Todd Snyder for a while. Got it. Well, uh, David Lee Holt played with Joe Ely. Then was David Grissom, who was a guitarist who played with John Mellencamp, who you certainly heard of. Yep. And then 
the last guy in the face of the band and the voice of the band. I guarantee you've never heard of him, but I wish that you had. His name is Malford Milligan. And he was a soul gospel and blues vocalist. And I actually couldn't find anywhere in my research that it confirmed that he was before this, he was with a band called the stick people. It was a super random. No one knows anything about the stick people, but he was with them before. And he joined Storyville in 1994 after their first album. And he is one of a kind. You can look up, you could probably find Malford Milligan. If you look him up on YouTube or find some Storyville stuff, uh, you can obviously click on the link that I provided or watch, watch a live version from Austin city limits of, of them performing, uh, you know, okay. some of their stuff live. He, he is amazing. He's got amazing stage presence. Um, he's got great mannerisms, the way he works the crowd when he sings, you know, he, he's, he, I, 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 I'm going, I'm going to compare him to, to James Brown. Now he's not as active on stage, wow. But in terms of, of the energy and the effort that he puts in, that obviously James Brown is a legend. He's the godfather of soul. I understand what I'm doing. But the comparison I'm making is because Malford Milligan puts that level of energy and passion into his performances on stage. Every member of this band is extremely good at what they do. They're very, very good. And, and they're all pretty well known, at least in the scene that they came from. Malford Milligan isn't known by anybody but he's just as good at what he does. So so he wasn't overshadowed by these very skilled and experienced musicians. He rose to their level with his own skill. Huh. Uh, it's, wow. it's just amazing. And, and I would encourage you to, if you've got a few minutes, to go look up a live performance of these guys. What Passes for Love was the fifth track on their second album. It's called A Piece of Your Soul, the name of the album. And I like this song because of, of their songs. It, it, it's the one that, that kind of showcases kind of the, the skill of the musicians and the power of Malford Milligan and his vocal performance. It's really it's fantastic. It's it's great right from the first drop and the song kind of builds and and if you if you listen this to the song closely, you'll kind of go along with it and it'll it kind of brings you into the song emotionally and you're kind of tired at the end of it. <laughs> it's just a, it's just a good <laughs> it exhausts song. You. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, if you let it. Um I, I've seen Storyville several times live, and it's one of those things where you like a band, then you see them live, and then you kind of find yourself obsessed with them. Yeah, uh, be- because they deliver every time you see them. Fortunately, mostly I saw them in, in small clubs, so I'd see Storyville with this these tremendous musicians and this powerful vocals in these clubs that held eighty five people, a hundred people. And, and, and one in particular, I, I saw them in downtown Bryan, Texas, at a, at a just a hole-in-the-wall bar uh, music club called the Third Floor Cantina. It's probably not there anymore. It's literally on the third floor of this building that looks like it's going to fall down. I also saw Deep Blue Something <laughs> play there, who did Breakfast, Breakfast at Tiffany's. And Breakfast at Tiffany's, yeah. Yeah, I saw them there. They, they, they basically played that place like they were playing a, a small arena. It, it was extremely loud. But the Storyville played there, and Malford Milligan, uh, either at an at a intermission or at the end of the show, walked off stage. And the man is imposing. He's a, he's a large guy. He, he's de- definitely over six foot, but he's just he's just large. He's a bulky guy with huge hands. And and I, he just happened to walk by me, and he's just covered. He's just covered in sweat because he just gave his life away for the show in this tiny club. And I reached out and, and just obviously said that was amazing, amazing show, and shook his hand. And his, his hand just 
made mine disappear. <laughs> <laughs> but it was and really then he cool. pulled you out of the a crowd of people that were yes. trampling you. And, yes, uh, <laughs> that, that's actually I didn't want to get into it, but he was actually the guy that I went to the Smashing Pumpkins show with. And I knew it. I knew th- it. That thank you, it. Alfred yeah. Milligan. But look, look him up. He, he's got a really interesting, you know, just kind of a look to him. And uh, it was cool to have that that very brief interaction with him. And every show I went to blew my mind. Let me ask you guys something because I mean, you just talked about like this collection of musicians and how great they were live. Because um, I I remember the the song as you posted it in the in the brackets, and I was really surprised that like there's this blues song in the middle of all this alternative music, you know, and um, or this you know kind of blues rock kind of is kind of an old school sounding song. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like, oh, that's cool. Like it. It's it's not like anything else in the in the tournament. It kind of stood out to me, but I'm like it's it's kind of a standard blues thing. This studio uh, recording, but then when you go see a band like that live, when every member of the band is like a stellar musician and they do what they do, and they're not being, do you guys think like a studio sort of puts that in a box, but they are able to breathe more? Do you think a band like that, you need to see them live to really? see what they can do um, absolutely without getting the edges cut off of them yeah 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 well imagine stevie ray yeah, i mean stevie ray sounds fine on his albums but if you're right. not into that kind of music you, you you might find him boring you're like oh great another guy that can play guitar really well if you'd never heard right. of him but then you go see him live you're like holy crap and and, and then he, he breaks a, a guitar string changes it in the middle of a song and never misses a beat and just right. does these things yeah. with a guitar that you've never seen before <laughs> you know so absolutely you know hendrix you know like hendrix is fine on an album but imagine if you saw hendrix live or or further imagine if you saw hendrix live in a in a bar that held 300 people like it would, sure. it would melt it would melt your face so so i i think the answer to your question is absolutely yeah okay no further questions <laughs> <laughs> your witness your, your, your witness counselor. Well, I, again, I've given it away. My championship matchup came down between, and I, you know, again, I love Space Hog. And in the meantime, I love Ain't That Unusual by the Goo Goo Dolls. But the other two songs really I made more of a personal connection with. So my championship matchup was Satan Is My Motor by Cake and What Passes for Love by Storyville. And I really wrestled with that, honestly, because. Because I like so many songs by Cake, so you know, liking so much of their stuff, so uh, such a big percentage of their catalog started to influence me. But then I just took myself back to some of those live performances and just how rich, uh, you know, Storyville was in the brief time that they were around. And so, my pick for the best song from Stage Three is "What Passes for Love" by Storyville. And uh, again, cool. again, I just explained why I love that song and why I love that band and what a what a special experience it was to. I mean, I, it was just that window of time when I was going to s- small clubs and seeing bands that uh, you know, I, my, my, me, me and, the, and them intersected, and, and I'm really glad that it did. And that's yeah, great, that's man. Cool. I'm looking forward to going down a, a Storyville rabbit hole later on this weekend. Yeah. Well, to, to Phil's point, I, I don't think you'll appreciate them if you just if you listen to their albums. I think you probably got to go watch, you know, videos of their live performances, particularly at Austin City Limits. That's probably what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna go to YouTube yeah. and see what yeah. I can find there. 
you'll appreciate them more than you currently do, but probably not as much as if you did get to see them live because these are old, old recordings. These recordings are 25 years old, obviously, or more, almost 30. And, you know, and the sound in the video is not that great, but I think if you just, I, I think, I think you'll still get kind of the essence of who they were at the time. I think it'll still help. Cool. I've been watching Austin City Limits for 20 years. I, I know how to filter through bad PBS audio video <laughs> it's, it's uh, so to, 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 to approximate what it, the energy of the room is a little bit. But uh, no, I, if you want to set your barometer, then watch some Stevie videos, Stevie Ray Vaughan videos. Yeah, from no, City oh, Limits. for sure. Yeah. I mean, the one the one that I referenced where, I, where he breaks and repairs a guitar string, I think I think that was at Austin City Limits. It's I think it was too. I've seen that uh, a few times get passed around. Yeah. Well, that's it, fellas. Do you have any parting thoughts or comments? I uh, yeah, I think you just said it best when you were wrapping up, and you said you know I picked the songs I had a personal connection to, like. I mean, this is all personal taste and, you know, some of it's nostalgia that colors it a little bit or or just what we're into now versus what we were into then. But it all comes down to a personal connection on some level as to as to what we're connecting with. Yeah. Uh, and I think I think it's cool that we had some overlap, but ultimately we again ended up in three different corners, I think. And, and it, I just I, I love coming on here and comparing notes with you guys. Yeah, because we are roughly the same age, all of us, it's been interesting to see how in this round our paths kind of just diverged a little bit, whereas I think in the previous rounds we were all kind of like agreeing on a lot more stuff. I don't know if I'm making any sense. We're just kind of, this is the part where we kind of all went our own directions more or less. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great observation. still a little bit of overlap, but we were all sort of, you were going to college and I was being a dad and Phil was doing whatever Phil did <laughs> and we were both we were all just kind of exposed to three different sets of music that are all kind of like intersecting right here yeah, yeah. no, that, that's a really good observation well and look, look at the four songs we picked we picked a, a Texas blues rock song and you know you, you picked a, a female grunge band you know Phil picked uh, you know a female singer songwriter and the, you know, the GBI picked the Beastie Boys at their peak. Beastie Boys, yeah. Th- those are four very, very different picks, actually. That's what's great about this this uh, this series, man. Is just mm-hmm. you know uh, not just summing it up here, but seeing people duke it out in the in in the actual voting. You know, like, but it. I mean, it's all over the place. There's people from all over the you know all over the place musically coming together. And trying to to duke it out over uh, who has the better music taste. It's it's friendly competition, but it's it's also really interesting to see the intersection of it. Yeah, I agree. Well, it's been really fun for me to go back through my music catalog and just revisit those places and times and the way that I thought and felt at the time. It brings back a lot of those things. And I appreciate you guys for... It would have been fun for me to do it by myself. It's even more fun to do it with with a couple of friends. Yeah. It is. Let me just do one thing before we wrap it up. So I can pull it up here. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, I'll wrap it up by saying this. Thank you, Paul, for the production value. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. (laughs) Pack it up, folks. (laughs) 
Well, that completes our discussion of stage three. And we've put three songs into the final four of our year-long mega tournament. And so we'll do one more episode like this. And then a final episode where we announce the champion and reveal, hopefully, my all-time favorite song. This is an odyssey that we started (laughs) several months ago. It's going to be a year-long activity. Hopefully, we arrive at the point where I can confidently say, this is my favorite song. We'll also run a poll in our group to see which of the winners that the three of us picked uh, and the GBI and see if everybody agrees. I think it was funny because one time the GBI's own pick got zero votes. (laughs) So you don't know how that's going to go. Real quickly before we go, Phil, is there anything you want to plug? Uh, The Picture Show with Austin and Phil Rude. Find it where you get your podcasts or on YouTube. Great. Well, just some credits before we go. Again, if you'd like to participate... Hear some great music and vote in the tournament. Come join us in our Facebook group. It's not exclusive. You are invited, and it's called the Gravity Beard Interns. You can also call us on the hotline to shout at us and complain about our picks or share your own. That number is 321-465-2180. Find us on Twitter by searching at the Gravity Beard. Gravity Beard is a proud member of the Podfix Network. To find other great shows consistently creating platinum-level content, go right now to podfixnetwork.com or search at Podfix on Twitter. Thanks again to my friends Phil and Paul for appearing on today's episode. I'm your host, Toph. You've been listening to Gravity Beard. It's what your ears will want to be listening to. Gravity Beard is a proud member of the Podfix Network. To take me home I know who I want To take me home